Must be back to school. Parents are like, I'm singing with all I got. Kids are going back tomorrow. Yes! Oh, so good to be back. So good to see all of you. This is my family. I'm so glad to... Amy and I are just, uh, we have, listen, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm so grateful for our elders. They years ago decided that um, it would be good for me to get away for a few weeks every summer just to focus on, you know, my wife and my kids and make sure all that's healthy, focus on me and uh, just all emotional, physical, spiritual health, just to kind of go away and, you know, learn some new things and this and that. But, and so I'm so grateful for that. But I got to tell you what, it is always so good to be back home. And there is not another church like this in anywhere I've ever been in America. So love you guys. So glad to be home. And you just did a great job singing. Hey, back, I remember several years ago, um, it was probably around 2002-ish or so, we hit this marker as a church that uh, when we started the church in 97, we were kind of like put this marker out there. We were striving to hit it. It was the, it was the number 2000. It was in around 2002, we began to, to average as a crowd about 2000 people per, per week. And we were portable. We were meeting over across the street, East Paulding High School. And uh, I remember that week when we hit that number, we decided that we were going to go to Longhorns and, and we to really celebrate. And I remember who was there. Paul was there and, and uh, my dad was there. Matt Wilmington was there. Steve Veal, Dave Cole, several other people on staff. And I told them, I said, hey, this time instead of getting a little side salad, you can actually get a steak. We're going to celebrate. All right. And, uh, but as I was sitting there... Um, thinking about this milestone that we had achieved, which quite honestly in the church world is like you become a mega church, mega Tron church, you know. So, but I sat back and I thought, you know, this doesn't feel like I thought it was going to feel. I thought when this, num- we hit this number, and listen, don't, 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 don't get me wrong. I was so grateful for what God had done and the lives we had had been able to touch through, through God's power and, and all of the people that were coming and the number of people who had trusted Christ. But, but, but the number 2,000 just really, quite honestly, seemed a little bit anticlimactic. It was almost like, okay, what's next? And I remember even over the last month, the, the, the months that, that followed, I just kept going, Lord, I don't think that that's why you put this church here. Now listen, we were, we were already starting to start churches. We were already engaged in the community. We were already doing some, some great stuff overseas. But I, I just remember sitting and thinking over the, the year that followed, Lord, I don't think you put Westridge Church in this little place called Dallas, Georgia, which nobody had ever heard of, to just be another big box in Atlanta that just gathered all these people. And God began to speak to my heart about, you know what, this is not going to be a catch and keep church where our goal every Sunday is to try to catch you and do the best we can to keep you by wowing you with all of this stuff. What God was calling us to be was a catch and release church where we would catch people, God would catch people, he would bring them in, they would be transformed and changed by by the gospel and we would train them up, make disciples and then send them out to change the world. And that's when we got serious about church planting and about community transformation, some things that we, we actually stopped doing some things that some of you love and keep wanting me to do. But we, we, 
we got into things like Hope for Christmas and, 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 uh, and Community Makeover. I mean, over time, it's really, it has been a slow progression of God continuing to transform this church into not being a catch and keep church, but instead being a catch and release ascending church where we are raising people up and sending them out. Some of them not, not coming back. They're going to our church plants. Or we had, I don't know if you know this. We now have like 16 missionary couples all over the world. Why? Because here's the deal. We've been called to be change agents. Jesus' commission to us was to be disciple makers, to be ambassadors of hope. And as we're going to see this morning, Jesus, in his very first sermon that he ever preached to people that we have on record, he called us to be salt and light. Now, if you have your Bibles or if you have a tablet or a phone or if you brought your, your uh, big computer, um, I want you to open your, whatever that is to Matthew chapter 5. You can turn on your app too. We have all the notes right there, your Westridge app. But Jesus is standing on a hillside. I've actually been to this place. He probably stood up on a large rock because there were several hundred people in front of him. And he said this in verse 13. You're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's using a metaphor. And what is a metaphor? A metaphor is when you take two things that really don't have anything to do with each other and you actually compare them to each other. And in this passage, Jesus compares salt and light. Now, what's the big deal about salt and light? Well, salt and light are two things that we value. We need them both, and they're both very different. Salt is, is, is hardly seen. If you just you use just a little tiny bit of it on your food, you can't really taste the difference. But if you pour too much on, on your food, it'll, it'll ruin your food. It'll, it'll ruin the taste. On the other hand, a light um, is very visible. But too much light can make you put your hands in front of your face to block it, or it can make you turn your face away. But if you don't have enough light, then the environment that you're in can make you feel like things around you are unsafe. Now, there's a profound reason why Jesus uses these two objects to make his point. First of all, salt represents your influence in this world. Salt represents your influence in this world. On the other hand, light represents your testimony in this world. Now, what does salt do? Well, if you were to go to the Salt Institute website, which I know that's where a lot of you spend your time, um, there are over 14,000 uses of salt. And fortunately for you this morning, we're only going to talk about three of them. First of all, salt gives taste to food. Now, I'm one of those people, and some of you ladies, I, I, I know you hate people like this, but I'm one of, the, one of those people that when I sit down at a, at a dinner table, the very first thing I'm looking for is the salt shaker. I mean, it's like, I don't even care what's in front of me. Give me, like, pizza. Give me some salt. You know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, because if you think about it, and I know it's not very healthy, but but think about it. Put, put a bowl of soup in front of someone. If it doesn't have salt, it's bland, right? It's tasteless. It's got to have a little salt for some seasoning. French fries without salt are nasty. Can I get an amen? All right. I didn't even have to ask for that in the first service. It was like, wow. I get more amen for that than anything else. But, but when you apply salt to food, what does it do? It unleashes the flavor. And Jesus says this. He says, you are salt. 
You are the salt of the earth. Jesus says, you are God's seasoning in this world. Just as salt has zest and adds flavor to food, our job is to follow Jesus in such a way that our very presence adds flavor to the world around us. Let me tell you what I'm talking about here, what I believe Jesus is talking about. Being salt to the world is showing true love to people that may not be very lovable. It's walking with friends through tough times. It's helping people through rough moments. It's, it's showing real forgiveness, truly forgiving, forgiving people who, who have wronged you or attacked you. It's, it's, it's true grace, extending grace to those who, who you may not really feel deserve it. It's, it's offering real hope to people who, who have lost hope. As you know, last Saturday we, we did Community Makeover, and I'm, I'm always so inspired by you. I want you to know that. You just inspire me when I'm, I go around and I see as many different projects on Saturday as I can, and... and um, we went to, on Saturday morning, Kevin Dunlap took me to one house, which is out in West Cobb, and I won't mention the man's name, but we pulled up to this house, and it was very apparent just from pulling up to the house that the, the gentleman was a hoarder. I mean, like, he could be on the TV show. It was that bad. And I got out of the car, and as we got near the house, I'm like, oh, this is extreme. There were, the, our, our kids, a lot of teenagers involved in this project, and they had taken away just tons of, of weeds and bushes. There was a gigantic dumpster in front of this guy's house, and they kept throwing trash, and he was standing by, and he kept watching everything that was going in and actually pulling some of it, some of it out. And as I walked around his house, um, I just noticed this terrible smell. It was overwhelming, like, almost like a smell from something that you smell in, the, in a third-world country. And I went into his house, and I mean, they had actually had to move things around just to clear a path for people to move around. And, and I went around to the back side of the house, and it was like there was just stuff that had been collected for years and years and years. I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy. And I met the gentleman that lived in the house, and we started talking. And, and I, he said, listen, um, he said, you know, many, I moved into this house many, many years ago. And he said, I tried to fix it up. And back in 2007, I actually bought a bunch of stuff to try to fix the plumbing and to fix different things. And he said, I'll be honest with you. He said, I just, I just lost hope. So for the last seven years, this man has just lived with basically no hope. And, and he said, I want you to know, he said, you folks have, have you've given me hope again. It's like you, you've just all of a sudden you've ignited something inside of me that, that I have hope. Now, now, what would have happened if we would have just knocked on that door and just said, hey, how are you doing today? I want you to know you are a sinner. You need to repent. You are going to hell if you don't re- accept Jesus into your heart right now. Now, I've been on some of those visits before. I've had a lot of doors slammed in, in my face, and that's probably what would have happened with that man. But instead, here's what we did. We got out of our salt shakers we got involved, we dove into the messiness of this guy's world, we showed him what real grace and real love and real hope really looked like, and God used those of you who were, who were involved in that project to add flavor to a very nasty situation. And trust me, this is a project that's not over. We're going to be going back for a long time, and we may not even still be able to make a dent. But I want to promise you, this man, he's now ready to listen to the saving message of Jesus Christ. Because we showed him, you showed him a true picture of what Jesus is really all about. True love and true grace and true hope, real hope. See, salt adds flavor and taste to the world around us. But it also does a second thing, it preserves. Now, back in the time when this was written, people didn't have refrigerators. So in order to keep meat uh, from rotting, they would cover it in salt. And what would the salt do? It would keep the food from going bad. It would keep it from from decaying. And so if you, 
If you had food or meat, you would hang it up and you'd cover it in salt. Now, if you have a sore, if you have a cut on your finger or maybe your arm or, or a leg, what do doctors normally tell you? They might tell you to, to, to go into the ocean, all right, to swim in the ocean. Why? Because the shark will come and take that leg off and you won't have to worry about it any longer. No, that's not what happens. No, the salt in the water helps disinfect and heal the wound. I want you to think about your world for a moment. Now, what is your world? Your world is your neighborhood, it's your family, it's your circle of friends, it's, it's the people that you do life with on a ball team, that kind of thing. I mean, who is the person right now that is in your world that's helping to bring healing to a fractured relationship in your world? Who's the voice in your family that's helping others to, to simply make right choices to just obey God's word? God wants us to influence our friends and the world around us to make right choices, to obey God's word. And being salt means that we, that we are an agent in the, in, our, in the world that we live in to help things not to, to decay or to rot. Now, this past week, as most of you saw on TV, we had um, a young mom, 42 years old, get attacked five miles from here on the Silver Comet Trail. And I want to tell you what, when I saw the picture of her in the hospital and what she looked like before and after, I don't know about you, but I started thinking about what if that was my mom? What if that was my wife? What if that was my daughter? What if that was my sister? And I want to tell you something, pastors go to bad places in their minds just like some of you do, okay? And then I started thinking later on about why God put this church in this community, and it just, I mean, I just felt the sense of ownership and, and just felt that we have to continue to get out of our salt shakers and engage the culture around us that is continuing to decay and rot right in front of our eyes. See, when the morality of our community is starting to rot, we need to be challenged to keep things from going bad. Jesus is asking us to use our influence to be salt, to help others to make right choices. Why? Because salt keeps things from rotting and decaying. And that's why I believe God, one of the reasons God put this church in this community. Salt also helps create thirst. Have you ever noticed how thirsty you are when you're eating a piece of pizza? Why? Because it's just, it's full of sodium. It's full of salt. Salt creates thirst. Jesus says, you are salt. In other words, God wants us to partner with his Holy Spirit to live inside of our lives in such a way that it makes people thirsty for Jesus, thirsty for what they see in our lives. Students, I know there's a lot of you sitting over here and some of you spread out all over the place. I want to challenge you this year to live your lives in such a way that you allow the Holy Spirit to create a thirst in others for the Jesus that's inside of you. Enough of conforming to the culture around us. Instead, I want to challenge you. Influence the culture. Change the culture. Be a change agent. Live your life in such a way that through the power of the Holy Spirit, it creates a thirst in other people for something, for, the, for Jesus and those around us. Now, there's a couple challenges when it comes to salt. First of all, in order for salt to really truly be effective and to make a difference, it's got to, it has to come out of the shaker. It has, to get, it has to make its way out of the shaker. And so what that means is we've got to get out of our holy huddles and we have to engage. We actually have to stop being afraid of the world around us. And we have to realize that we've been strategically placed in this world by God himself so it, with, with all of the power that we need, by the way, so that we can be change agents in the world around us. The second challenge is this. We have to make sure, we have to make sure that we don't lose our saltiness by being polluted by the world. 
Now, back in Jesus' day, so when salt was gathered, a lot of times when it was gathered, it would look something like this. It would have some dirt in it or something like this. And when that happened, when, when salt was gathered and it, it had dirt in it, it would just become useless. Jesus said that when this happens, the only thing, good for, the only thing this is good for is to put it on the ground so people can walk on it. Jesus said, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, as you can see up here, and I've been grabbing these things, I've got two salt shakers up here. One is the real deal. This is full of sea salt. The other, this is what Jesus describes as being useless. The salt that is in here has been polluted. And see, whether we believe it or not, whether you believe it or not, the world around you doesn't want this. They really don't want this. They're reaching for this. They're, they're looking for the, re, the real deal. They, they want to see this. People around us, they really want to know if Christianity, if the life of being a Christian really truly works. And by the way, they're, they're tired of our words. They're tired of, of, our, of our lip service. They're tired of, of half-committed behavior. They want to see someone that is truly living out Christianity. They want to they know, does that, is that legit? Does it work? And that's why Jesus called us to be salt, because salt is an influencer. It's a change agent. It's a, it adds flavor. It creates zest. It preserves. It creates thirst. Now, I want to switch over here to light for a moment. In Matthew 5, Jesus talks about two sources of light. Jesus is standing on the side, as I said, of a pretty good-sized hill. And he looks across the lake, and he says the first source of light is a city on a hill. Now, those who were listening to Jesus, they would have totally understood what he was talking about. Because there were cities all along the Sea of Galilee on the shores that you couldn't even really see during the daytime. But during the, during the nighttime, when people would turn on their lamps, turn on their lights... All of a sudden, it would just light up the city. You couldn't hide a city on a hill because all it would take would be just one light to expose it for the whole world to see. The second source of light that Jesus mentions is a lamp. Now, back in Jesus' day, typically, a house would have two rooms. And when, when the evening drew near and the darkness fell, they would move a chest or a table into the middle of the room. They'd put a lamp on it, and everybody would gather around. They would eat dinner, and everybody's faces would be illuminated. So Jesus was speaking. When he was speaking, people knew that the thought of just like taking a bowl or a basket and putting it over that light would have just been ridiculous because everyone, everyone knew that covering the light would darken the whole house. And so Jesus says, you are light. You are light. Again, he's not making a suggestion to be light. He's saying, you are light. We've been called to be the light of the world. Now, what does light do? Well, light exposes darkness. It's kind of a no-brainer. As soon as, as, soon as we, we, we turn on a light, what happened? Darkness goes away. Now, when I was younger, I, I want to tell you something. I was, I was scared to death of the basement in our house. Why? Because it was extremely dark down there. And I don't know about the house you grew up in, but I grew up in a little tiny house outside of Detroit. And it was one of those houses where the light switch to the basement was at the bottom of the steps. I don't know what evil person came up with that plan, but it was bad, for, for, especially for kids like me, okay? And I'm serious. I would have to, I'd stand at the top of the steps, and I would have to psych myself up. I actually got to visit this house a couple years ago. It was like, I can't tell you how many times I've run down. I would... F I would literally fly down these steps. I would jump and I would hit the light switch at the very bottom. And what would happen? All of a sudden, the darkness would disappear and, it would, and the light would just 
brighten up the room, and I'd look around to see if anything was in there. Now, I got to tell you something to be real. I had family members that knew that I was really afraid of the dark, and they would be standing down there, and they would tap me on the shoulder as soon as I got down there. One of them is in this room right now. She's sitting right over here, and there should be a law. That that should be like, like, in my opinion, there should be jail time for that kind of (laughs) child abuse. All right, mom? So, In the Bible, light is a symbol of the presence of God. Jesus refers to this in John chapter 8. He says, again, Jesus spoke to him saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus tells us that, that he's the light of the world. And when he lives inside of someone, he is the light that shines in their life. They have the light of life inside of them. But without him, what's happening? People are walking in darkness. There are people all around us that are trapped in sin. They are walking in darkness because the the life, their life is void. There's a void of of the life of Christ in their life. They've never been been exposed to the the life-changing presence of, of Jesus Christ. Many of you have friends who are living wild, crazy, sinful lifestyles. And and you're looking at it going, it doesn't even seem to be bothering them. Well, they don't have Christ in their life. The Holy Spirit's not inside of them. They don't feel guilty or shameful because the light's never really exposed the darkness in their life. But it's amazing when someone who is lost in darkness gets exposed to the light and they, and they really open themselves up and they allow the light of Christ to penetrate that darkness. I mean, the life change is amazing. Can I tell you, Jesus is your light. You are light. Your testimony serves as a light to expose the darkness in someone else's life. Your very presence, not your words, but your life how you're living your life, your actions. Then life serves as, light serves as a guide. How many of you in this room have ever been caving before? I think they call it kerplunking or something like that. You know, surplunk, what's it called? Splunking, okay. Kerplunking, I think, is when you drop something into water. Splunking, is that right, splunking? It doesn't really matter at this point. Who cares, okay? It starts with a P and it's a weird word. It starts with an S, all right? So anyways, I've done this before. Okay? I hear people are still telling me how, what it sounds like over here. Right. We, a few years ago, Amy and I, we, we went caving. And um, we're walking through this cave. And, and the guide says, turn your flashlight off. And we did. And I'm telling I have never seen that. I mean, you, I couldn't see any. I mean, my hand was here. I could not see my hand. It was that dark. And then he said, turn the lights back on. And it was like, wow. That light served as a guide to make sure that we stayed on the path, that we didn't fall into a hole or, a, a, you know, we, and we eventually, it led us out of the cave. And so many of you, you, we know people in our lives who are wandering aimlessly through life. Their life has no meaning. They feel lonely. They feel desperate. They look into the future and, and they don't see any hope. They don't see any promise in their future. And so they turn to all kinds of things to try to fill a void in their life, to ease the pain that they're feeling. And Jesus has called us to be lights because we have a responsibility to point people into a light, out of the darkness, towards a light that actually does have hope, that does have meaning, that will bring promise to their life. Matthew 5, 16, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that, listen to this, so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Again, the light of Christ in our life serves as a guide to point others to Christ. But there's some challenges with light. 
And the first challenge is this. We, we need to make sure that we're shining the right light. I told you earlier that the source of our light, again, is Jesus Christ, and we, we need to be reflectors of that light. However, we have to be very careful because there's someone else in this world who likes to trick people into thinking that he's also a great source of light. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, Apostle Paul says, For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. The Bible says that Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light. Not, not, that, would, not, not that would attract people to the right kind of light. Now, what, why would people be drawn to that? Because for some of you, you're like, that's obvious. So why, why are so many people drawn to that? Because it really looks like the real deal. It looks like it, it, it's extremely appealing. It looks like a lot of fun. It's the kind of light that tells you, hey, God does love you, and it's okay to live however you want, sin as much as you want, because at the end of the day, God will forgive you. What he wants is he just really wants you to be happy. That's not the right light. It's also the same kind of light that will tell you that all roads of religion lead to the same God. Now, in a lot of rooms, that's a very culturally relevant thing to say because it makes everybody in the room feel kind of warm and fuzzy. But that source of light is leading people straight to hell. And we have to make sure that we're reflecting truth and that we're reflecting the real thing. The second challenge is we need to make sure that we're not hiding our light. Matthew 5, 14 again says, You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Now, guys, I want you to do me a favor. Turn off the lights in the room, if you would. All of them. Like, get it really dark in here. Thank you. Darker. Okay. Like somebody pulled the fire alarm in here, okay? Listen, this is what we're supposed to be. Lights in the midst of darkness. Even if, we're, even if everything around us is completely dark. I almost look like a, a ghost on the screen, don't I? So, but we're to be lights in the midst of darkness. Reflecting, pointing people to Christ. Go ahead and turn the lights back on. Now, what would happen if in the midst of that darkness if I tried to cover this light? Again, well, we'd be surrounded. We, just would, we would be just engulfed by darkness. We wouldn't be able to see our way out of the light. And I know some of you, there's a lot of you students who are going back to school tomorrow. Listen, don't hide your light. Don't try to hide. Don't try, Jesus says, don't put a basket, a bushel over your light. Don't try to snuff it out. A light was meant to give light. Let your light shine. Even in the midst of whatever seems to be dark to you, let it shine to, for your whole school to see it. Let your football team see it. Let the cheerleading squad see it. Let the band see it. For the rest of you, let your neighborhood, let your workplace see the light of Christ in your life. Let God use your life however he wants to. Let your life make a difference. Let the light that comes from a personal, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ flow out of your life. Now, I want to give you a little formula. It's a little mathematic, uh, algebra kind of formula to just change the world around you. And I want to tell you this. I didn't create this. I got this from Bill Hybels' Contagious Christianity, and I'm going to tweak the formula a little bit. Now, what does MI mean? MI, if you look on the screen, means maximum impact. 
And one of the things that Jesus longed for from his followers was so that he wanted them to have maximum impact to, on the people outside the family of God. And all you have to do is look at some of the things that Jesus said during the final days of his life, or even, even at the beginning, but especially during the final days of his life, to realize that he was emphatic that his followers would impact and influence the world. Before he left the earth or the final time, he looked at his followers and he said, I'm commissioning you to be my witnesses. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who's going to give you amazing, incredible power. Go out and change the world. Show people who I am and what I can do in someone's life. So when Jesus says you are salt and you're light, Jesus has given you clear marching orders to have maximum impact on your family, on your friends, on your neighbors, on your teams, in your schools. Again, we're called to be change agents, ambassadors of hope, ministers, all of you, witnesses, influencers. Christ wants you to have maximum impact on those around you. So MI stands for maximum impact. Put that back up there if you would. High P stands for high potency. High potency. The word potent means that something is really strong. It's really effective. It's, it's got a kick to it. In order for salt to be salty, remember what Jesus said? It has to be the real deal. But salt that, that's lost its usefulness, is, it looks like this. It's kind of polluted. It's lost its savor. This is not going to add much flavor. It's not going to prevent much, much decay. It's not going to create the, 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 what you're looking for which is, you know, maybe a thirst. Jesus said it's only good to be thrown on a path and be trampled on by other people. And light is the same way. A light has to be on. It has to be bright. It has to be illuminating if it's going to really show direction. Now, I want to show you something here real quick, and I know some of that's blinding you. But in my salt shaker over here, like I said, I've, I've got some sea salt. And, I mean, sea salt's really strong. If you want, you want something to be potent on your food, you just get some sea salt. It's got the ability to do the drop. I mean, this right here, this will, will increase taste, prevent decay, and it will create some thirst. But what if I, what if it never leaves the shaker? What if it just never, what if I, what if I never, what, what if we never pour it out? You know what it is? All it is is a nice table ornament. That's it. And what about my light over here? What, what, if, what, if, what, if, what if I just stand off way in the distance, or if I never turn it on, or if I never, you know, just, what, what if I just stand way back there and, and I never get it out there? Is it, is it to use, is it, is it useful to anyone? No. Listen, in order for salt and light to be highly potent, it's got to be p- combined with the next part of the equation, which is, you got to have a little CP, which is close proximity. Right? For salt and light to be effective in people's lives, it has to have close proximity. Now, I could have the strongest, tastiest salt in the world, but if I don't get out of the shaker, and if I don't get it onto food, it's useless. I could have the best, most, the high, most potent light in the world, but if, but if I don't turn it on and get it into the darkness, then it's not going to fu- fulfill its purpose in this world. And then the third thing you have to add to this is RD, which is rich density. You have to have some rich density. When something has density, that means that it's really thick, that it has, it's stuck together, it's very focused. For salt to have rich density, it's, it, it, you have to get more than one piece to, on your food. Otherwise, you're kind of looking around in your food for it. Where'd that salt piece go? go? The more pieces of salt I can pour together, the, the saltier my food will be. I'll have high potency in close proximity with rich density. What makes my light brighter? When it's more focused. And I got this crazy little light up here. It's an amazing light. And when you, 
It's like, I don't know if you can see it real well, but I mean, it's kind of like floods the room a little bit. But man, when I turn this little knob here and this thing becomes like a little laser, supposed supposed to shoot like 400 feet away. Why? Because I focused it in. It's become more potent. It's doing the job. It's like a laser. What, listen, what do you have when you have a laser? You have high potency and close proximity with rich density. You see, when we stick together and we work as a team, you have rich density. When you stick together as a group of followers and you're all focused on the, other, on, on the same thing, you, you have even richer density. So HP plus CP plus RD equals maximum impact. Now, what is the most effective way to make this formula work in this church? Well, we believe that we've been called to do life together. And so I want to challenge you this year, whether you are a student, whether you're a college student, whether you're a single adult, whether you are married, I want to challenge you to get in a group. Students, listen, I, I know what it's like to go through. You know, I went, went through a public high school. I know what it's like to be surrounded by a lot of darkness. But I also know that I couldn't have made it through that without having other Christian friends around me to encourage me to be, to, to be doing the same thing together. And you need to tackle your school. You can't tackle your school on your own. You have to do it with others who have the same goal in mind, who, want, who, who understand the call to be salt and light. For those of us in this room, adults, married couples, singles, whatever, you know, we have not been called to do Christianity by ourselves. It's not a spectator sport either. It's not a solo game. We've been called to do this with other people. And in this next year, I want to encourage you to get in a group. August 24th, we're going to have what we call group link. It's a great way for you to get involved, just to be exposed to groups, to get into a group. We need, we need group leaders in a way that we've never needed them before. I think small groups in a church are the best way for us to express the purposes of Westridge. Love, grow, serve, share. What if I'm hurting? And the, la- the last thing I need is to sit in a group of people that, that really, they seem to have their act together. They don't, I mean, they seem to have, every, everything seems to be going well. Listen, we've got groups for you as well. Groups to help you heal. Groups to help bring hope back to your life. We've repurposed our, a lot of our staff to be group focused. Why? Because we believe everyone should be in a group. We believe that Christian life was not meant to be lived alone. We believe that dis- discipleship best happens in a group. You cannot split the Great Commission in half and say that discipleship is more important than outreach or outreach is more important than discipleship. No, you have to have both working together to truly make disciples. And then this year, I want to challenge you to do something that your group maybe has never done before. Get your group on mission. Get your group laser focused. Get out of your huddle and engage in a mission together to reach the culture outside, to make together, to have rich density to make maximum impact outside of your world. And we can help you do that. You contact our outreach office and talk to Greg Garner, Kevin Dunlap, or Ruth Wittenbrook, and we'll help you find something that you can be on mission together in this community to be salt and light. And then make sure that your mission's all about Jesus. Whatever your group's all about, make sure it's all about Jesus. That at the end of the day, it's all, it's all about Jesus Listen, we don't provide clean water in places like Africa and, and Guatemala just so that we can say that we did it. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to do. But there's an end game in mind. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to see lost people come to Jesus. And we know that they can't even, 
They can't even hear, they can't even hear his name when their children are dying. We, we, we're not just doing Hope for Christmas and community makeover and serve Saturdays without an end game in mind. We want to fulfill Jesus' call to make disciples. We're not planting churches all over the world to receive some kind of acknowledgement from some magazine or denomination. We truly believe it's the best and most effective way to spread the gospel into places where there's a lot of lost people. I'm not asking you and your small group to get on mission just so you can say, check some box or just to say we did nice things. No, there's always an end game in mind when it comes to Christianity. We've, called to, we've been called to be change agents. We've been called to be disciple makers. We've been called to be ambassadors of hope. Students, you've been called tomorrow as you go into your school to be salt and light. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 15, 13. The Bible says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fi- fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we fill our lives with Christ, we overflow with hope. We become ambassadors of hope to this world around us. And you know what's one thing that our world needs more than anything else right now? They need hope. That's why we've been in this series all summer on hope. And we've been called to bring hope, to spread love, to reflect life, to use our influence to make a difference. For our testimonies, not to be hidden, not to be reflecting the wrong light, but to be pointing people to Jesus, to be a guide. I want us to bow our heads for a moment. I want you to think about yourself as salt. How is your influence right now in the world around you? Is your very life and testimony and the way you live, does it create thirst inside of us for Jesus? Is it preserving anything? morally, whatever that looks like. And, and what, about, what about your life as a light? Is it guiding people to Christ? When, you, when, when the light of Christ is in your life and it's shining, does it, does it draw people in to want what you have through your relationship with Jesus Christ? If not, it's a good moment to just repent. It's a good moment to make some changes. It's a, this is a good moment to get some things right in your life. Students, this is a great moment to say, tomorrow when I walk into school, I'm going to be salt and light through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do it with other friends. For you, you adults, it's a good moment to say, no longer am I going to do this by myself because I can't. I'm going to do this with others in a group, and we're going to get on mission together. If you're lost here today in this building, in other words, you've walked into this place and there's a void in your life, Jesus Christ is not in your life. You've never received his gift of salvation. You've never been forgiven of your sins. You've never put your faith and trust in him alone. I want to give you that opportunity right now. Just the very first thing is I just, just call out to God and say, Lord Jesus, you are the son of God and I repent of my sins and I put all my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to be my savior. You are mighty to save. And Lord, I feel your light pouring. I mean, I can feel it this morning. That's the Holy Spirit drawing me. And and I say yes to you, Jesus. What you did for me on the cross was enough. And so, because you have offered grace to me, I come to you by faith. And I receive the free gift that you're offering me of salvation. If you just made that decision, take your Get Connected card. Let us know. Check the box that said, this morning I prayed to receive Jesus. Turn it into the Help Center in in the atrium. 
This could be a great moment. Families, if you want to get together and just get on your knees by the altar. Students, if you want to come and just pray for your school tomorrow as you, as you get ready to go to school tomorrow. You want to pray over your kids as they go out into school tomorrow. Your, maybe small groups, you want to pray together over what God would have you to do. As we sing right now, Stevie leads us in the band. Um, let's just take a moment and let's stand and let's worship together.